welcome to the podcast, The Common Bridge with Richard Helpy. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors, but with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. My name is Brian Kruger, and from time to time, I'll be the moderator and host of this podcast. Welcome to episode 17 of The Common Bridge and part two of Richard Helpy's uh, interview with Chinese hedge fund manager and pioneer, Aaron Boski. Um, if you want to get caught up on the first episode of this or the first part of this, it's episode 16. But if you're all caught up, stay tuned and, and listen in. This is great. They talk about the Trans-Pacific Trade Agreement, free market, fair competition, innovation, and they get into 5G as well. I find this very fascinating and we'll join it in progress now. It's not about soybeans and tariffs and um, not who, who gets to buy steel from whom, uh, because th- this is the, the way some of the reporting has gone on. And uh, I don't think there was a great deal of understanding about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, although um, when Trump uh, rejected that agreement, uh, there was a great wailing and there was going to be the I think it was the end of at least this hemisphere. Um, What was good about the Trans-Pacific Partnership and and what was flawed about it? And is it, are we on to a better way now that that doesn't exist? I think that the best way forward period is having a fair and level playing field where um, individuals and businesses can compete on a fair basis and let the the hardest workers win or the most organized or the most talented or the brightest. You know, there's so many ways that a sports team can be great or a company can be special. And we've learned in seeing the greatest free markets, you know, system ever created and what it can create. I mean, in, in, just 150 years of the American experiment, we essentially innovated and created the entire modern world. And you have to stop for a moment in all this malaise about trans-Pacific partnerships and jobs and steel and soybeans and say to yourself, oh my God, we made the telephone, the television, the airplane, we fly, we made the computer, the satellite, decoded DNA. You look at how much has come out of America in such a short period of time. No other empire, no other nation has even come remotely close in terms of the outpouring of life-changing innovation that's changed everybody's life on this planet, from people in African fields to Russian Siberia, the world has been driven in the last 150 years by the result of fair competition created in the U.S., which protected innovation, and that has changed everything. And that's the formula. And, uh, you know, I think that this conflict is very important because it's going to set the stage for China to play by the rules. And the result of that is going to be another huge wave of innovation. 
And that's something I wanted to hit on, uh, you know, going into this talk, which is the innovation now already. So when this kicked off, we're now two and a half years into the rumblings when it began and right away um, threats, you know, the background was that when Schumer and Trump and the Senate just decided this is it, we're going to, you know, we're going to draw the line on these guys. It's got to stop the theft. And um, when they came down, the tariffs and the soybeans and, and all those other conversations that they got thrown into it as weapons to force the Chinese to stop stealing the tech. And, um, you know, it again, I want to be clear, the, the guilt isn't entirely the Chinese. We encouraged it in the 70s, 80s and 90s. So both sides are guilty in terms of what ended up happening, but it had to stop now. And it is stop stopping now. So uh, about two and a half years ago, when this started, um, Xi Jinping made a huge push for innovation in China um, so that they wouldn't be reliant on the United States for certain technologies. And this is going to be probably a, you know, very interesting for your listeners and for yourself, which is. I don't know how much you know about the microchip, but the microchip is really the one thing that the Chinese could never copy. Why? Why is that? <laughs> it's a. It the microchip is actually at the heart of, and I mean the center of the entire conflict. So China could, could pretty easily they learned not even. By using hackers or anything, they could just reverse engineer pretty much anything that we were doing. That's okay? right. Yeah. But the problem is when you're talking about microchips. So the microchip is the heart of technology. So your phone, you know, the outside of it, the glass, there's companies that make glass. The metal case, there's companies that make metal. The heart and the brain of the entire thing is the microchip. And to produce microchips that are competitive, that can process so that you're looking at a touch screen and flipping through and down, I mean, the amount of processing that's going on there, in order to produce a chip that can compete, um, you have to have multidisciplinary. I don't know if you've ever seen like a television show or anything of a, of a chip foundry, but... Um, the amount of disciplines that go into actually creating a chip at like negative 500 Celsius, like, um, you know, you have to have like physics and chemistry and, you know, quantum and the amount of disciplines that go into producing chips on a competitive basis, next generation, next generation, next generation, the Chinese could never catch up. Trump and the Senate threatened to cut China off on chip delivery. That was what caused the conflict. So the only weapon we really had that scared them was if we cut off semiconductor delivery to China, we send them 
to the dark ages effectively because the only chip foundries that they've even attempted smic which was a money pit for about 50 billion us that couldn't make a chip that's 10 years behind where we're at right now and uh you know so that's what triggered everything was that we started to threaten the banning of high-tech exports to china namely the semiconductor and that was the big poker chip that we had the tariffs weren't even remotely as threatening as cutting off high-tech exports uh the high-tech export ban which was proposed by the senate and trump multiple times was such a nuclear option in terms of the effect it would have on china because the only other foundries that have the capability are japan korea and taiwan all of which are licensed by us and garrisoned by us so if we wanted to cut the semiconductors it would have uh, sent china to the dark ages so it was a huge threat and we we ended up settling on tariffs which is a much less penalizing result for them and it was the tariffs ended up being much more of a slap on the wrist because all they really did was shift their currency and depreciate it to offset the tariffs. And uh, it really didn't have much of an effect. Um, it, it had some effect, but, you know, it wasn't the most that we could do to them. So, you know, I just want to be clear that the U.S. did hold back the nuclear option and the tariffs actually were a, um, a way of compromising in terms of our threat. Well, so, with, with our competing educational systems, it would well, seem that, that the next yeah. frontier that we're looking at is 5G. Um, and, and I don't know that anyone really appreciates the magnitude of what this is going to mean for life on this planet. Um, on some of these yeah. earlier podcasts, we've talked about artificial intelligence and big data engines and what that can do for life on this planet in terms of you know, medical care, warfare, uh, you know, commerce. But 5G uh, is, I can't even get my head around the magnitude of the changes. And I look at China's trying to get there, we're trying to get there as you know, U.S. economy. Who's best equipped to get to 5G? That is a great example of what, competition can do now that China's being held to account on their behavior and we're really challenged 5g is the first challenge so it's really this is the first showdown between the US and China now that China's like on their own so we've cut them off we really have at this point and they know it and the big challenge that's right in front of us in terms of the next 18 months is 5G. There will be many challenges going forward between these two powers. And as long as we can keep the competition on a fair playing field, I think the benefit of, of the competition will go to us, the consumer and the people, because you look at what's happening with 5G because America knows the competition is on. And it reminds me a lot of the, the space race with Russia um, when you have that kind of competition, you get to the moon in five years. 
You know, we never would have made it to the moon if it wasn't for Russia. And that's the kind of atmosphere that's coming out of this. And it's exactly what we could have hoped for, which is there's no war. We're getting back to business. And this time it's a competition. It's not just, you know, them copying us. And it's so a fair it's, it's a fair competition, it sounds like, from yeah. your description. And so, Aaron, in this first phase has been yeah. reported, what's in there? Of the, what's what is the some of the foundational pieces of that agreement and also what might be in a second or a third phase where where do we go from here what's there the first phase and where do we go from here okay look the mechanics of the agreements and the frameworks um you know internally at marco polo you know we've been looking at what are the what's the framework going to look like we've been looking at that for 12 months before this came out, you know, how are they going to do this and what kind of impacts is it going to have on companies? But I would say that the point now is, is that the moment of us going, we're putting our foot down all this, you know, the way things were, it's over. It was like a breakup. The important thing is that moment's now behind us. The line was drawn they're well aware the whole world is well aware at this point that china's got to stand on their own two feet and that is the basis of this negotiation and as long as that reality maintains true what you're going to see in each one of these subsequent you know uh trade agreements is you're going to see an easing of the tariff situation, obviously, that that's going to come down very quickly. I would assume within 12 months, uh, you're going to see tariffs back at whatever levels they were pre-Trump in certain categories. Um, I think that any any people or industries that were impacted by that were essentially either beneficiaries or casualties to the conflict. Uh, Things are going to revert from a policy perspective back to where they were. Um, and, uh, you know, but the change is that the competition is on. The game is on now. Uh, it really is a competition now. And it's, I would say, a friendly competition. Um, it was a bit uncomfortable here being an American over here for the past 18 months. I mean, it was the breakup very uncomfortable moment but you can feel in the market already in the last six months that there was sort of an acknowledgement um in up in higher circles in in economics and in trade that it had to happen and it's going to be best for everybody because china is going to stand up now and they're going to compete and they're going to innovate and we're all going to win and you're seeing it already. Um, 5G, you alluded to, huge example. I don't know if your listeners or even yourself really know what 5G can do. It is a pretty mind-blowing technology because what it is, is for the first time ever, um, they've developed a language that chips are going to be speaking to each other. So it's all about the internet of things iot 
And um, one of the big arguments or the competition with China and the U.S. is the language that the chips are going to be speaking. So what will happen is is you'll have a Dell, Dell desktop monitor and you'll have a you know GE air conditioning thermostat. And these things are going to be speaking to one another regularly. Um, so like when you're walking into a hotel, you'll get to the elevator and it'll just open up. And the first time it happens to you, you'll be like, that was weird. <laughs> How did the elevator know that I was walking? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and and what just occurred was that the sensor has a chip in it that opened up the sliding door at the front thing and that it knew that someone was coming. And these are the, the things that are going to be working it out now. And, uh, you know, you're going to – let's say you vacate your, your room. The thermostat will just turn the heat down. It won't even – you know what I mean? It, it just – the, the things are going to be making decisions um, and speaking to one another. And uh, it's 5G won't really have any impact on us from an interface standpoint, unlike most other technologies that have revolutionized society. Um, it, they were very visible, like the automobile or the smartphone. 5G, it's all in the background. Everything's going to look the same. But it'll be acting different. <laughs> well, we, and, uh, we did cover some of the uh, security and privacy matters that are coming up through the evolution of technology. Uh, is there a way we can mess up 5G by messing up trade policy? Yeah, look, it, you know what? what there, there is a dark path before us. I don't think we're headed down that path. But the dark path is one where a path of suspicion and a path of um, paranoia, fear, and these things grip nations and they grip the world, you know, in different decades, in wars, um, you know, things can get dark and I'm not, um, you know, I'm definitely not 100% sure in which way this is going to go with us and China. But, you know, and other nations that are involved in the, you know, in the greater picture of things. But uh, I think that we've made a big turn. I can sense it in the macroeconomics and in the chatter that um, I think things made the turn. I think the risk moment that things were going to get ugly, like the kind of fears that you're talking about, privacy fears with um, you know, Chinese technology, it, it, it all starts at the core, which is the relationship at the top. And I think that all of these trade negotiations that have occurred between China and the U.S. and the U.S., all these renegotiations, what they really they look on the surface like fights. But in truth, they're bringing these people together. You know, you have rooms now of the top Chinese leaders. They're flying to the U.S. and they're sitting down with the U.S. guys. They didn't even know each other's names before this started. Now they know each other. They know their wife's name. They know they you know he likes that kind of coffee. He's this guy. And, you know, I'll tell you, these fights that have occurred um, under the Trump administration with these nations, it's bringing nations closer, um, you know, that 
had we gone the way of no talk, no negotiation, we're just putting up a wall of silence, you know, that would have been the dark road. I think we have turned that corner. Um, the one great thing about uh, the way the U.S. handled themselves during all of this is we didn't stop and we never shut the door. We persisted in sitting down at tables with North Korea. We've tried with China. How many times have these leaders and the you know, the under leaders under Trump and under Xi, how many times have they flown back and forth, had back channel, you know, chatter? I mean, you know, the amount of dialogue that's gone on in the last three years during this entire global trade renegotiation period, I think has brought things together and it's setting up a foundation of future trust, not mistrust. The more we talk, the more that we know what's going on in each other's politics and each other's systems, uh, the more that we can have faith that we don't need to be overly concerned about geopolitical privacy matters. Now, if you're talking about corporate privacy matters, that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, it, you know, it, and it's not something, it's not my area of expertise at all, well, but I would me, say, let me, let me uh, shift gears just a little bit then just a little sure. more granular. And if it's, you know, outside of the scope of what you want to chat about, that's, that's fair as well. Um, for the listeners to the common bridge, um, they hear, uh, from the media sources in the United States, a lot of rancor, a lot of division, um, a lot of really awful character attacks uh, both ways. And they're fed up with the government being polarized uh, to the point where they're ineffective. And so what I'm hearing you say is that these trade policies lead to um, fair trade, uh, fair competition, um, that U.S. companies will be getting paid for their goods and services, and that'll be good for, gosh, if I'm a listener in Marquette, Michigan, or Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I think, I think, you're, I think your guy in Marquette is going to benefit noticeably from this renegotiation mm -hmm. how, 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 how How is that? that and that's the, the things where... You know, people are going to make a decision at the end of this year, and they're going to say, have, has their lives changed much? Have these, all the upset that we've experienced, has it gotten us any place that's better for me? And so one of the questions I asked earlier is, you know, why should the guy in Macomb, Michigan, Marquette, Michigan, uh, Cody, Wyoming, care about whether or not Bill Gates gets another license fee or not, or what else is in it for this, for those people in terms of this uh, fair, I, fair trade, let, fair Let me tell you what's in it. You want to know what's in it is preserving, preserving. It's not about was your life made so much better under this guy or this senator or whoever. It's about preserving what is already the greatest country, empire, nation, culture that humanity has ever produced, which is the American culture and the American nation, the innovation that we created changed the world forever. And it's about preserving 
what we've achieved and preserving this way of life that has changed humanity. No other culture or nation in 10,000 years of known history has done anything remotely close, let alone in 100 years. Any innovation, everything you're looking at is done by us. Any manufactured product, the assembly line, Henry Ford created that, the phone, the television. I mean, it's just the whole world around us it's all from what we've created, and it's important that we preserve that. The guy in Marquette or Cody, I think what he needs to be reminded, don't take for granted what he has. I don't care how big his apartment or his home or how difficult his job is. This life that we're living in from the lower to upper class in, in America is the greatest life that anyone could have ever have dreamt of historically. The, the, the good old days, those, those don't exist. This is the good old days. And for people that have experienced specific hardships during this conflict, I would say that the government should absolutely find ways to remedy for them. I don't know what kind of remedies the Trump administration has been deploying for people that have gotten caught in the crossfire. But this crossfire, it needed to happen in order to preserve our world. You want to preserve your telecom provider, your T-Mobile or whatever. They won't be around. These services, these companies that we buy and we use every day and and we get our gas from that station and and our automobile parts from over there those things won't exist if we don't fight to preserve and um you know this uh this tough rip the band-aid off thing with china it had to happen at some point and i know that people got caught in the crossfire i don't know them personally because i live out here but people over here have gotten caught in crossfire as well. Do I think it had to happen? Yeah. Do I think it could have been slightly different this way? Or could the policy been shifted a little bit that way? Sure. But, you know, we're dealing with a lot of moving parts here with these governments and with these economies. And I think that we all need to be a little bit forgiving and a little bit appreciative of, be, of us living in the greatest bull market of all humanity this hundred years, the greatest hundred years in, you know, human, human development. And, uh, you know, if you've got a tough rap from this and you're pissed off at some policy or some politician, my advice, ask for remedy. It's not about we shouldn't have done this. It's more about I got caught in the crossfire. I deserve some compensation here. So I think that Trump and China are doing that for their people. I know that there's been, you know, they're, they're well aware that certain selected groups or regions or industries have really gotten caught up in it, their political argument. And uh, I, you would probably know better than I do on the state side what kind of programs are being, you know, uh, you know, supplemental um, compensations or, you know, government in China, the way they're doing it is they're the government is buying from the public. You know, they're 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 keeping the demand up um, to try to supplement the pain. 
um, on the people. And I know Trump in his own way and his administration, I think, are doing some of those things. Um, Aaron, look, this, is, this has been, yeah. look, this has been very educational, very instructive. And I think uh, our listeners are going to applaud this. We're probably going to have you come back as well. It's incredible, yeah. But l- let me ask you this, is, as we wrap up, what topics about trade or trade policy didn't we get to today that you'd maybe hope to cover, something that is really central to the way you're thinking, or peripheral for that matter? Um, well, a uh, couple of things is, uh, look, it. I think that the most important takeaways on policy are that it's already been achieved. China has acknowledged <clears throat> has acknowledged that it's time for a new era on technology and innovation for themselves. And the moment is already behind us, the watershed moment, the realization. And um, I think for policy purposes with other nations like Mexico or whatever negotiations are going on, I think that the takeaway is what we need to do is not push democracy on people we need to push free market capitalism and protections not just intellectual property and patent protections but courts and rule of law needs to be deployed globally so that the entire world can operate on a fair playing field i don't care how you elect your officials but business needs a fair playing field worldwide and the moment and the more and more that that happens, the more and more everyone's getting richer and happier. When we're seeing these bull markets every five years or 10 years, maybe the guy in Marquette, there's a boom and and, you know, he, he you know, his property went up or this or that. These are all happening. These moments of expansion and um, development are happening because of what we created, which is a fair playing field and competition and uh, needs to continue. Aaron, great. This has been the Common Bridge uh, with our guest, uh, Aaron Boski. Very generous with your time uh, calling in from either Hong Kong or Shanghai today. And I know that your morning is just getting started over there as we're taping here in the evening. Uh, Aaron, I very much appreciate your coming on and sharing this a remarkable story. Um, we can't wait to get the podcast posted. I believe that'll be next Tuesday. And uh, we look forward to uh, hearing what our listeners have to say about it. But thank you 100%. so much for being thank on the Common Bridge. Me. Thanks, Aaron. That was great. Appreciate it. Thanks. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge podcast. Recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.